0: Hello Trojan fans! Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Ryan Abraham, your host. I'm back! Yeah, so usually have Keely coming in there with a really good... She did really good with her low Trojan fans and stuff. Uh, but I'm back now. Back from vacation. Keely is in studio. Dan Weber's on the line. We're going to talk some USA Trojan football. They were both at Pac-12 Media Day while I was out, you know, gallivanting, golfing around Europe. So we're going to get some updates from them. They did their last show on the eve of Pac-12 Media Day. So we'll get a recap of everything that went on there. Lots of Pac-12 talk, all condensed into one day uh, in Hollywood. So we'll talk about all that. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or if you'd like to, call or text us. The number is 424-254-9141. We got a couple of voicemails. We got some emails. We got a bunch of questions to get to. But we're going to recap everything that has been going on with Pac-12 Media Day and just fall camp is right around the corner. So lots to talk about. Dan Weber's doing his previews. Keeley's getting the video camera all fired up, ready to go. Uh, Keeley's in studio. So hello. Hello, Keeley.
2: Hello, hello. Welcome back, Ryan. Thank you. Glad Thanks. to have you back. It's hard to do the Hello Trojan Fans. I tried to do it like you. You just, I like half committed to it. You got to fully commit and I wasn't really there yet.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't know how that even got started, but we were doing it. Uh, last time we, we talked to Keeley, we did our 1000th episode. We had Matt Liner on. That was a lot of fun. I think now we're up to like a thousand four or something, but something uh, like that, that was good. I'm glad we crammed that one in. Yeah. Um, and we got Dan Weber on the line too. What's up, Dan?
1: Uh... A big week i guess uh, i mean the start of practice is almost here it's like wow is that possible because uh, this was this is a season usc probably needs as badly as they've ever needed a football season to get started and it was for a while it's like was it ever going to happen and then it's almost there just a few days away and uh wow we're ready
0: we are ready. Yeah, and it's uh it was weird for me to miss Pac-12 Media Day cuz I've been going to that thing, I mean, forever. Like I don't remember a it's been. You know, 15 years or something I think since I missed one. It's been a long time. And I you know, didn't realize it when we booked booked this trip. So, I was just following along. I listened, you know, watched your instant analysis, well, you know. You. I was, I was in Scotland and stuff and like we were in a castle for a while which didn't have really good internet, so it was kind of hard to follow along sometimes, but I think we were in and Bra by the time, like, Pac-12 Media Day rolled around. So I got, we had better internet there at, like, our our Airbnb. But you guys did the podcast. I just felt like I wasn't needed. You were doing all this stuff without me. We don't
2: me. need you, Ryan. No, we're <laughs> just kidding. But I hope I hope you know that I was your keeper, apparently, uh, your spokesperson at Pac-12 Media Day, because people would come up to me and be like, Ryan's not here? I can't believe Ryan <laughs> wouldn't come to Pac-12 Media Day. That's crazy. Like, I'd be like, yep, he's not here. Like, yeah. So I was your, your spokesperson for nice. the day. Nice.
0: I was on vacation, so you know, whatever. But it was much
2: needed vacation.
0: You need, you know, I've not gone away for two weeks, probably since like going backpacking around Europe after college. So it's been a minute, you know. That was twenty-five something years ago or whatever. (laughs) So uh yeah, it's been a while. It's a long time to be like as Americans, we don't really go away for that long a lot, you know. True. A lot of the Europeans, like Australians go away for a year or two, but we don't really do that as much. But it was it was fun. I it was funny you talking about when I was listening to the show, you are like, Oh, Ryan's in Ireland now, or Ryan's in Scotland. Now I was like,
2: yeah, I was following you on social media,
0: (laughs) Uh, but it was good. It's good to be back. Uh, We we did a show with Harvey Hyde yesterday. We're going to do a tunnel vision on Wednesday. So live again. So we'll be back. We're not sure the format of that yet. We're still working on a special guest that USC thought we could get, but it's getting really busy with, like Dan said, fall camp is starting uh, in a couple of days and it's, It's going to be a different fall camp, guys, because, you know, up until the 17th, they got their fall showcase at the Coliseum, which is, you know, kind of cool. Uh, I wish they would still do some sort of salute to Troy where you honor the 25 and, and 50 year anniversary teams. But after the 17th, practices are closed. Dan, this reminds me of like the late Lane Kiffin time, right? Like when he closed things down and we had to wait for him outside and talk to him after
1: practice. Yeah, that didn't work out so well, I don't think, for anybody. I'm not sure, as I recall. Uh, you know, that was uh, one of those times where I think people just decided, you know, if we can't do it like Pete did it, we can't do it as well as Pete. Let's just don't do it. Like uh, the same thinking on, um, on having the walkthroughs at opponent stadiums and all of that. You know, Pete did such a great job of that. And his successors said, oh, man. How do you match that? Let's just don't do it. And, uh, and I think, you know, gave up some things, in, you know, in the bargain. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it just didn't, it didn't work for Lane. And, uh, you know, that was one of the first things that uh, Ed Orgeron reinstated and uh, certainly didn't seem to hurt the rest of the year. So, uh, uh, you know, whether there's any connection between doing that and getting better, uh, I think you probably have, have a hard time uh, connecting those two things. But, uh, you know, you can understand it's easy to do if you're USC in a way because everybody else in the country does it that way or even uh, restricts it more. So, you know, that is what it is. So uh, I don't know if it's going to require, and I don't know if USC really understands this, uh, I know one of the justifications for, for, for cutting us out was to allow the players to have more of their own time and you know, not be distracted and what have you, uh, and, and do it like a bowl, you know the bowl prep work. But uh, one of the problems there is then the players coaches have to give more time after practice right now. And, and I don't know if people at USC appreciate it. It's very efficient the way it works after practice in terms of uh, grabbing all the players and, and doing a lot of the work for the SIDs and, and, and having interviews simultaneously going on. And, and the kids get out of there really quickly after practice. I'm not sure that it's going uh, it's, it's to go that quickly now because people are really going to have to you know, talk to players at greater length having not seen practice. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see how USC adjusts for that in terms of the player's time, uh, you know, for media people who, who don't get to see practice. So we'll just see how that works. But but I'm not, I'm not convinced that they've figured it all out yet. And we haven't either in terms of how, you know, we're going to do everything that we're going to do. But uh, uh, it's going to be interesting, as yeah. always.
0: Yeah, sort of an end of an era, you know, like reading that email. I think I was on vacation when the email came through and, there was a text thread and stuff like, wow, they finally did it. But we, we knew they were kind of moving that way. And with, you know, are we being too negative, like pointing out that the team is five, and seven, like, I don't know. Like it's hard to say, Oh, it's the media's fault. But if you yeah, if you, if the media weren't in practice, we'd have been uh eight and four or something like, it just seems like <laughs> a little bit of a, a stretch, but it didn't really work out for Lane Kiffin when he did this, it, you know, they said it wasn't like a desperation thing that he was at the you know uh, end of his rope, but ended up being exactly that. Will this be? Uh, I don't know. Um, but it's it's just one of those things where it's you're blaming people around. I think they've done a lot of good things, and you know, I think we've been. You talked about this on the last show. I think we've been very positive about the coverage from spring football. You know, we had Aaron Osmond on; he was amazing. You know, we talk about Graham Harrell; he's amazing. I don't think. That's been the issue. When we see positive things, we say positive things. When we see negative things, Akili, what were you going to
2: and, say? And Dan, and Clay and Dan even talked about that a little bit at Pactol Media Day when we had like a sit down and you kind of do that with the coaches afterwards. Dan was, uh, Clay was like, and Dan, you've seen, you've talked about how spring was better. And so we he acknowledged that we got positive during the spring. So yeah. it's not like we are staying negative for the sake of being negative.
1: Yeah. No, we want to we like, what they're doing we want them to do things that we like basically when you have a 5 and 7 season they had 5 and 7 practices and that's <laughs> kind of what we said i mean that it isn't like what we were saying wasn't going to ha- wasn't happening on saturday i mean it was like was there ever a disconnect between how we described how they were going about things and how they played on on saturdays i don't think so at all i don't think there was any any uh, you know any you know distance between how we described them getting ready for games and how they played in games. I mean I think we were pretty pretty much on the money uh, and you know we wanted them I, without a doubt you, the team you're covering you want them to play well you want them to to do well and practice well and it certainly reflected that in the spring. I mean uh, so uh, you know I think the if you want to talk about where the negativity came from, didn't come. From, it didn't start with us. You know, we're like a mirror. You know, we're reflecting what's going on. Yeah. We're not creating it. We're not making it happen. Right. We're just saying this is what's happening.
0: Yeah, like if you point out, hey, they only had ten minutes on the field for that PAT, or you know, Toa Lovendon snapped the ball like fifty times, and twenty-five of them were bad, or like those are things we're making up. Like those are things you're observing and that they probably wouldn't like that out there, but you're pointing it out. And the fans are like, Holy crap, that's crazy. Um, but the, the weird thing for me is Dan, I think all of us here, I don't think any of us would be shocked. Correct me if I'm wrong. If this team turns around and wins nine or even 10 games, like we know they're talented. Like I, I don't think it's likely, but that's certainly possible. And I wouldn't say it's probable, but it, you might, maybe Dan, you think it's more, but if they yeah. do, if they do that, that to me just makes 2018 look like you were running it. at such an incompetent level. Like you had the pieces to do way better than five and seven and you did not. And so to me, that's more of a indication of how poorly things were run last year. If you can do a few changes in the off season and turn things around that drastically against a really tough schedule.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as I, And I did go out on the limb. I guess Brady McCullough from the uh, Times and I look like we're the only two people that thought that uh, that they can get through the schedule and and win the darn thing. And you know I do tell myself again and again, it's uh, the Pac-12. Come on, Uh, a really good, you know, (laughs) a good football program ought to be able to survive here. A program that's recruited as well as USC until last year, let's say, and then they get the two. Uh, two guys back through the transfer portal, which changes that a little bit, uh, ought to be able to go into a season and say, hey, we got to win this thing. And they, you know, they, it's, a, it's a tough schedule, which I think is the exact thing they need. It's a perfect opportunity to show, uh, you know, we're back and we're ready to, you know, do what we have to do. And this is serious stuff. And, and they get, you know, Oregon and Utah especially – you know, at the Coliseum. So I think, you know, it's, it's uh, a schedule that gives them a chance to do what they're going to do with the, with an offense, especially geared to the talent that they've got. And so, you know, I think they've got every uh, opportunity uh, to do what, what, what they could do, what they should do. And, you know, as much as people want to look at 2018, and it was, beyond disastrous. I mean, it was just, that was as bad a a job, you know, by a program uh, like USC as you could possibly see and and by a coaching staff, you know, that had been together and should have been getting better and just completely, uh, you know, imploded. And um, I think they've done many of the right things, probably not enough of them. I think they got lucky with Aaron Osmond. I don't know that we were sure how that would go, um, you know. Aaron was, you know, in the uh, you know football weight equipment business, and I think he saw a lot of programs. And I think one of the things that that Clay mentioned last week, and I think he's exactly right, it gave Aaron a chance to go around to all these programs and see guys that he maybe wanted to have on his staff. I mean, his staff is really impressive, and the fact that they're just you know totally. Uh, uh, devoted to football uh, is, is a change. And the way Aaron's gone about things, it's just, uh, it brought a big, uh, you know, that's a big plus that I don't know that we were absolutely looking for or that the players were, and that they've been energized uh, by that part of it as much as they have by Graham Harrell's offense. Um, so they've had, a, you know, a couple of things really go their way, uh, you know, in the off offseason. Uh, is that enough? I don't know. And, and the big, you know, stumbling block for USC in recent years has been as well as they recruited and as well as they kind of do things like uh, the first couple of weeks of fall camp and what have you, they tend to put on the brakes when they get, start getting ready for games and they would try to outsmart people, try to come up with a new look or something you weren't expecting. Or it was like the coaches were going to try to outcoach people instead of get, getting their players to where they would outplay people. I think the thing that you had to pick up in Pac-12 Media Day was the consistent message from Clay that it's not about him. It's not even about his coaches. It's about his players being able to outplay the people they're playing. And it's all about the players. And as we've seen from the way the offensive line was coached or the way the defense in general was coached, it wasn't about the players, certainly not last year. They weren't ready to play. That's what we said in, in our coverage. They weren't, you know, being gotten ready to play. This year, the focus is different, and so I think they've got a chance to, you know, get your players out there and see uh, whose players play better.
0: Yeah, the, that's what they got to do. Um, and, I, you know, you can say it's not about Clay Helton, but he was the head man. There was a lot of people that made mistakes last year. But I think they, like we all said, I think they can do a lot better job. Um, and they've we've seen improvement uh, yeah, this offseason.
1: L- last year was about Clay Helton. Yeah. Absolutely. This year, he, you know, I think he understands it can't be. In a way, it has to be in terms of pulling back and in terms of turning things over to the coordinators and turning things over to the players and making the whole focus be on are these players ready to play at the, you know, pace and at the – physicality and at the, you know, the speed of the game, uh, you know, in practice, uh, for the, for the, uh, for the game every weekend. And, and that was always the question. And much of the time they were not. Yeah. And, uh, now that's gotta be the focus, not on the coaches coming up with new plays and changing the offense and throwing more stuff into the gumbo. They know what they're going to do. They now have to do them better than the people who are going to try to stop them. Yeah. Um, Keely,
0: one of the things, and I'll get your thoughts on this too, Dan. Uh Utah was picked to win the South. Uh Oregon was picked to win the North. Um, and Utah was picked to win the conference overall. Uh, I do like Utah. I you know, I picked Utah in my poll, like most people. Um, you know, they were the favorite in the South for sure. I still think Washington's the favorite in the north. Um, what what was the talk there about Utah getting picked first, and what are your thoughts on you know Oregon, which is the flashy, recruiting really well team? To me, that's like that's a kiss of death that you put Oregon first. Like I think Oregon's going to be better, but if you're going to buy into the super hype train that's going on, I just think they'll probably finish third or something and not not win it. But what do you what did you think? Well, I
2: mean, I want to ask you first, why did you pick Washington over Oregon? Because it seems like I I I get where you're going with that, but I want to hear why you did.
0: Okay, Washington a couple years back had to replace four defensive players that were selected in the first 44 picks of the NFL draft and their defense got better the next year. Chris Peterson, I think is the the best coach in the conference and they have a proven machine that's working. I think getting better where Mario Cristobal, like you had Justin Herbert last year and the offense was pretty terrible. They weren't, I mean, I get why people are excited and you know, people talked about Justin Herbert last year, Pac told me Day, being a top five pick. He did not look like a top five pick all last year they're bringing in recruits there's a lot of hype and everything but until there's substance I'm not really I'm going to make the leap that Oregon's going to get better than Washington uh but and we've seen this before we've seen the hot type of team I didn't think the media would put them all, I mean it was by one point so it was very close to me it's like I'm I'm betting on the sure thing and I'm betting on Chris Peterson
2: yeah no that completely makes sense I think yeah. it's too flashy to pick Oregon um especially with what we know as far as Utah I feel like People were like, okay, we can't really pick USC after a 5-7 and season. Say Helton's on the hot seat. So then who do you really have left to pick? And I think Utah's that next smart choice. I mean, I know Dan picked USC, but that's the thing about USC, and I think you talked about it with Harvey Hyde, is USC's always going to be the sleeping giant. Like, if USC turns it around and gets it going, I can see USC clinching the South. but. I don't think that's – the media picks, to me, in my mind, seem a little bit like herd mentality. I don't think people really want to go against what, like, the majority might say. Right. So I think the safe choice was to go with Utah, and so I can see that. Whether or not I believe USC can do it, I'm not sure, but there's always that possibility for USC to to do that.
0: Yeah. What did you think, Dan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think basically you look at those choices, and and, and you're right. Washington and Oregon was a pick a pick 'em, flip a coin – and, and what that, I think, says is the other four can't win it this year, okay? So you take those four out. Stanford is kind of, you know, personnel-wise, they don't look like uh, a Stanford team. Uh, Washington State kind of starting over again. Uh, I think the South is the same way. I think they look at the, the bottom four and say, well, those guys, none of them can win it. That leaves USC and Utah. Uh, and I, I, you know, and, and you, you probably, you know, want to pick Utah based on, you know, the the game last year and the, the way, you know, the teams have been coaching up, coached up. But this year, I mean, USC, for once, the Pac-12 schedule maker is looking at USC with some, you know, favor, uh, considering that USC plays Utah week four uh, in a short week, Friday night game where Utah's got to travel. Now they both played the week before in Utah, uh, but uh, Utah, you know, the team that has to travel on a short week is never done any favors. And again, that's the Utah has played three. Will have played three non-conference games, and I don't know how hard they're going to be. You know, they play BYU in the opener, but I don't know how hard they're going to be pushed. And now here they get. The, you know, here's the Pac-12 choice in its first game of the season in true Pac-12 fashion, has to go on the road in a short week against USC. That's like what they did to USC a couple of years ago where they made them play you know, two weeks back-to-back, and the second week they had to go to Washington State uh, you know, for a night game. And uh, at the end of the year, Larry Scott's trying to make the case that with USC, if they win the Pac-12, they're still you know, good enough to be considered. Well, no, they weren't. They got ambushed at Washington State. So, uh, you know, here's the Pac-12, in effect, ambushing the team that's picked to win the, win the Pac-12 this year. And I think maybe they will have done that. I think, and, and the other thing, I think, uh, if you're looking at the North, or, uh, Washington gets USC at Washington. Oregon has to come to the Coliseum. And the last time we saw Oregon and Justin Herbert at the Coliseum, it was pretty ugly. It was like 42 to 20 USC. And uh, they've had some bad losses. And I know Cristobal was talking about that, but he's got to figure out a way uh, to get his team, especially, you know, road games like that to, you know, show up and play. And they haven't done that. Now, obviously, USC people should understand that because except for that Washington game a couple of years ago, USC hasn't shown up on the road uh, you know to play all that well either but uh, but the way things and they get UCLA at home yeah and uh, I mean so the other thing are, is
0: last year Washington had to go on the road and play Auburn Oregon has to do that this year Washington has Cupcake Central this year so they're fine so like to me it's just like Oregon can get off and stub their toe early and not Washington so I don't know that that was just kind of interesting to me
1: Yeah I mean I again I think you you're right to hype I think evens out with Washington. Washington was lost a, a lot of, you know, players. Uh, so I think, and, you know, you got the Peterson, Cristobal, uh, where, you know, ways in which you go toward Washington, but, uh, but then the hype of, uh, you know, of Oregon and, and some of those kids and a lot of emphasis on recruiting, and they're probably not going to help them this year. Uh, and you know, you, you just got to be able to be, you know, solid and tough and strong and, uh, and, and we'll see how that you know how that works out, but uh, but I, I just think it's not going to be easy for Utah or Oregon to come into the Coliseum. I, I just think USC will show up and be ready to play in ways in which when they lost to Cal and they lost to Arizona State, they were totally not ready to play in those games, yeah. and um, I don't I don't see that happening again this year.
0: So Keeley, you had a one-on-one with uh, Clay Helton if you guys don't know, USC's a head coach. So it was, uh, it created a huge thread on the pair style. Make sure you guys sign up if you, uh, you know, this is the perfect time to sign up too, if you guys want to do that. Um, you get the uh, dollar for your first month or 30% off your first year, but make sure you check it out on uscfootball.com. But, you know, with he, what he said to you and what he said to the media, I mean, it seemed like some of the quotes were kind of repeated a yeah. lot. There was maybe a... I don't want to say formulaic, but it was...
2: A little bit. Maybe
0: a little bit. But what what were your overall thoughts uh, hearing from Clay?
2: I mean, given that we, we kind of know that, especially on Media Day, Clay has a little bit of a, a formula to what he says. I tried to engineer questions that would break him out of that mold a little bit. Not always successful, but... The buzzword of the, of the whole Pactol Media Day was accountability, you know, and yeah. being accountable, uh, as a coach, holding his players accountable. And that's something that, you know, we've talked about ad nauseum that wasn't fully there. And the th- irony about closing us out of practice is that we kind of held the team accountable and we held Clay accountable to what he was saying. And we won't really know if, like Dan said, we see that switch, that fall camp to regular season switch of where they kind of, you know, Take it back a little bit. Maybe not yeah. do as much contact. So just trying to figure out with Clay what that looks like. What does accountability look like, uh, with his players, not only now in the offseason, but going forward. Um, and then just kind of exploring what he learned in the five and seven season, uh, who he goes to to get advice during the off season. He said it's always easier to, uh, when you're winning, take the accolades for it. But then when you, uh, sit back after a losing season, kind of look at what he did wrong. He yeah. kind of did that and, and, and looked at that. And the interesting thing that he said, um, in the, the regular media scrum was that he did exit interviews with his seniors and he tried to see, okay, what, what went well? What, what went wrong? And he said it was definitely a harder one this year, just because obviously coming off of a losing season, yeah. the seniors are going to have some, some things to say. So he said he learned from, from those exit interviews. And so it, it I didn't feel like we got as many unrealistic Clay phrases. You know, sometimes okay. we get things where you're a little bit like, Ugh, should you really say that? Or it's a <laughs> little too hopeful or something like that. I felt like he was a little bit more realistic this media day. And I think you have to be coming off the season that he was in. But, you know, it was typical Clay. Um, nothing too noteworthy, but I thought it was a good interview overall. Yeah.
0: How about you, Dan? What Any, any
1: takeaways? Well, that? I, 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 you know, he didn't, just quite step up and say, you know, having a guy snap the ball to a freshman quarterback in the shotgun who we couldn't depend on was a really bad idea, and we shouldn't have done that. It was unfair to JT, blah, blah, blah. He didn't quite do that. He doesn't have that ability to be, say, brutally honest about, you know, I think he kind of tiptoed around it when he talked about how many seniors, I think, well, three of the five offensive linemen were seniors. And they weren't really pushed, not because there weren't players to push them, uh, certainly at center, but they just didn't allow that to happen. Uh, You know, seniority mattered so much on that team because nobody knew the playbook, and they kept changing it and kept adding to it that you couldn't almost give a a younger guy a chance because, you know, the older guys didn't know what they were doing. How were the younger guys going to know? So they were in such a, you know – kind of a spot, a downward spiral. Uh, but I do think that the things I thought were impressive from clay, he, he really, I think understands how, how important it is for the, the whole, the scheme and what you're trying to do to be simple, simple enough that, uh, as he said, in years past, they would finish up, uh, all, not just fall camp, but they would finish up all the preseason practice and still realize they didn't have all their offense in and that they still were working on stuff. <laughs> and this offense, they got in in three days. So I think Clay, uh, Drevno's talked about it. Uh, you know, they understood, man, there, there may be a different way to do this. And the focus shouldn't be necessarily on coaches uh, drawing out new plays but on players being able to pick them up and perform them, you know, flawlessly without having to think about it. A number of times he mentioned about how much better he thought uh, Devin Williams is because he doesn't have to think that what they were trying to do with the playbook and the complexity and all of that uh, made it very difficult for a guy like Devin Williams to come in and show you what he could do because he was spending too much time trying to think about things. I know one thing that, that I'm kind of astonished about that is the understanding that because of the complexity and the fact that once you called it you had to pretty much stick with it uh, that um, uh, J.t. Daniels wasn't able to audible at all last year that there was no way of getting out of st- it, it just they didn't have the flexibility uh, you know to do that and and that's completely changed so and, I, and Clay, you know, I think gave a lot of credit to uh, Graham Harrell. And this is to, a, you know, a much uh, junior, uh, you know, college coach uh, in terms of experience and saying how much he's learned from, from Graham and how, mu- how well this works and uh, this is what they need. And uh, I, thought, I thought that was very positive. Uh, what I didn't pick up enough of was how do you maintain – uh, the enthusiasm and the physicality and the game speed and tempo and all of that that you may you know develop through fall camp, let's say up to the fall showcase on the seventeenth. How do you maintain that week after week after week as you're getting ready uh, for opponents, which has been kind of the downfall and how and I don't think we got a good picture of how that will be done. I, I think we can assume that some of it will be maintained because of the uh, Graham Harrell's offense, how you have to practice that at full speed. Uh, uh, but uh, which, you know, can bring the defense on, but, you know, in terms of tackling and, you know, the fundamentals and, and not that they got to, you know, hit for an hour and a half, but uh, that there's got to be that uh, connection between practice and games. And there, there's got to be that kind of competition. Uh, you, you like the idea of the Friday, uh, Uh, depth chart not released till friday and uh, the hope is that you have guys competing for those spots because they weren't competing for spots last year all that much they were kind of locked in and uh, especially on i think on both lines and so i think that will be really important uh you know if they really do compete how that's going to work with the quarterbacks i'm not really sure i don't think you can wait till friday each week to announce who's going to be the starting quarterback, I I I, I don't see that, but uh, but otherwise uh, I thought there were some uh, some positive things on, on what Clay did. He didn't say situational mastery, I think that was uh, that was a good thing. Or I didn't hear him say it anyway. Yeah. No love uh, of so love I, his I, wife. I don't ever want to hear that again. You know, but uh, so we, we didn't get some of the the code speak kind of stuff. Uh, although you know Clay tends to you know, talk about what he really hopes happens and what he wants to happen and what could happen if everything goes well, Uh, we don't always hear exactly how he's going to make it happen. You know, that's, you know, I mean, we saw in the spring, you know, he's really, you know, emphasis is on, you know, not, you know, not committing penalties and not doing stupid things and getting pulled out by Clay, if you do. And bringing in the officials and all of that. Uh, so we're assuming that's going to continue because that was a, you know, certainly a good start, but, uh, but how it goes, uh, you know, from week to week and the game planning and preparation stuff and how does, does that get in the way of maintaining your, you know, your physicality and your, you know, your playing at, you know, speed and tempo and competing for positions, I think is, you know, that's what college football coaching is all about.
0: I think the, uh, the competition stuff, um, you know, I thought that was a little strange where he's talking about after 25 practices, we're going to like you, quarterback, you kind of need to name something earlier than that. It, to me, it felt like, and I wasn't there, but t- t- it felt more like it was addressing the Toa lobodon stuff. Like we're not going to come out and say, yeah, I screwed that up. And the love of my life, I wouldn't take him out of the game no matter how bad he was. Um, but it, tell, it felt to me like, hey, if someone's not performing, we're going to take them out. If it's Tola Obadon at center, it felt like that. But then the quarterback stuff seems like it goes a little too far. I don't know. Keely, you're going to.
2: I See, what I was going to say about all the clay speak overall is like it. he has good intentions. But I just feel like when push comes to shove, he just makes questionable decisions like the Tola So, like, I don't know if that was him necessarily making amends for the Tola when he was saying that. But. Clay said that like if it's clear who the quarterback is he's not going to waste 25 practices on it but it just seems like we're almost rehashing what what the team went through last year where after four games you know Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's were like yeah you know what it was kind of hard not having chemistry with the quarterback granted now everyone has more experience with all the quarterbacks under their belt but I just think if everyone kind of knows who it might be i mean christian rector said yeah jt will be in his second year it'll be better like <laughs> you know if, if we're beating around the bush why not make the decisions that may be hard maybe upset some people on your team but are better for your team overall yeah. that's the thing where clay i don't think that's a, a strong muscle for him and maybe he can work that muscle stronger, but I just like making a toe lobendon switch or maybe introducing Elijah Vera Tucker and on the line rather than, uh, you know, other guys who weren't performing well during the season. Making those hard decisions, I don't know if that's something that Clay is still fully committed to doing. And that's where I don't know where the whole 25 practices going that whole length, whether or not he does that is the smart move. I don't know. It's It seems a little weird to me just the way they're going about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was standing there, you know, when he said it, and it was obvious to me, I totally didn't pay any attention to it because it can't be true. He ain't going to do it. And if it takes 25 practices in, in this offense to know who your quarterback ought to be, uh, I like, I mean, I think they can all perform fairly well in this offense. It is so quarterback friendly. I think mostly, you know, we saw that in the spring that, that everybody had their moments and, uh, I think there are ways in which, in this offense, you could you know, beat a lot of people on this uh, schedule with any one of the four. To be honest, it's, it's but, uh, but I, one would hope that by the fall showcase, not only do they know, I think they gotta know right already, but that they put that person in there because you want that person getting. You know, and they figured out ways in this offense to practice that get all the quarterbacks more snaps, all the receivers more catches, and run routes and all that. But I think the more you get, uh, uh, you know, the better it is. Uh, I know one of the things that, like JT, when he went to the uh, Manning Passing Academy, and he got with uh, you know a couple of the quarterbacks uh, uh, from North Texas, Utah State. Um, you know, Mason Fine, I guess, and uh, and the Love Kid, Utah State, who kind of run this offense. And one of the things he was trying to get at was, what is that one indicator? When I come up to the line of scrimmage, what's the one thing? And he would ask both of them, what's the one thing do you look for? The quick, you know, fix that I can say, okay, now I can, is it the one high, you know, safety or two high safeties? Or is it the way that the defense is going to cover the flats? You know, you you have to have an approach to what works for me as the quarterback that gives me a quick read on what I think works best with what we just called. And, uh, you know, I think that's uh, that's something you want guys refining and, and, and getting better and not necessarily competing against, three other people who were all getting about the same number of reps. I thought they really hurt themselves last year by giving the quarterbacks, the three quarterbacks equal reps. It just didn't make any sense. Didn't get things uh, far enough down the road to where they had a, a chemistry between the receivers and the quarterbacks. And I think they've probably got to get away from that. And I would think Graham Harrell is going to make that call, and he'll, he'll get it right, and he'll know how to do it.
2: I guess. Yeah. I guess my point was that, like Dan, you said that you're just disregarding what Clay said about the quarterbacks. Why? Why not have Clay say what he means? You know, we heard Graham Harrell say, "You'll know who the starting quarterback is just by the way they play." Like that will be figured out relatively short. So why not have Clay just say, "Hey, when the best guy presents himself, I'll name the starter." Why? Why say that you're Clay's,
1: taking? I think this is Clay's reaction to the realization that they didn't compete enough last year across the board, quarterbacks accepted. And he's trying to make the point about competing, competing, competing. So he's trying to make, and I don't know that he had the verbal skills to separate the quarterback situation out from the rest of them. And he really wants to emphasize the competition for 25 practices. To be honest, that was what made Pete Carroll's uh, program so special, is their ability to compete at practice, compete all the way through, the season and get better as a result. And I think Clay understands that now. I think he does. Uh, I think we got to hope he does. But I don't know that he had a a way of extracting that quarter. It's quarterbacks kind of a hot button issue, you know. With the uh, you know, you've got a couple of you know guys with more you know more seniority than than JT, and you know the fact that JT came in as the you know the savior because the spring had gone so badly for the for the other two guys that uh that it made it hard uh not to go in the direction of J T but then I know there were people who thought, well he just was given it you know, it was uh wasn't a competition. J T was, you know, guaranteed it and, and all that. So I think Clay's going away from that perception and he's going to we're gonna compete, compete, compete and didn't have a, a way of extricating the quarterback from that situation. But it would be hard, I think. You, you pay the penalty of having a true freshman start the whole season. It would be really hard to, to turn away from those 11 starts uh, last season and, and go somewhere else. I just think it, it, it makes it very difficult. And for a guy who finished the year with the best single quarterback performance all year against Notre Dame, not his best, The best against notre dame of any quarterback that played against notre dame uh so you know you gotta be looking in that direction i just think clay didn't want to sort of act like uh it was uh you know fade accompli and so he wanted to just emphasize competition yeah Yeah. uh
0: well christian rector and michael pittman were also there or any other Kind of get, you know, we'll probably put a bow on Pacto Media Any other thoughts? Start with you, Keeley, on what the players said or anything you observed uh, from, from Hollywood and Highland.
2: Hollywood and Highland. Um, I think... Like we said, the two names that just kept coming up were Aaron Othmus and Graham Harrell. Um, just getting more anecdotes about their effect on the team. Uh, the thing that stood out to me was Michael Pittman described Graham Harrell, Graham Harrell as the enforcer on the team. He said that one player didn't go to class and Harrell found out about it and the whole team did gassers and then did up-downs in between each gasser. And so he, Michael Pittman sounded surprised about how that accountability is actually being enforced, which... Might make you question. Okay, well, what was it like beforehand? What was
0: going on before? <laughs> yeah,
2: but at least now that there is accountability, accountability going forward is a good thing. Um, it makes you wonder why not bring in a guy like Graham Harrell? Why not, you know, move Tim Drevno to his natural position earlier? It makes you ask these questions. But at least that the fact that they're on seems like they're going in a better direction, on the right page, is good
1: for the Trojans. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. Uh, I think Graham Hill, what he shows is that Heritage, you know, the son of a, you know, very well, uh, you know, thought of established uh, Texas high school coach. And uh, I think there's, you're seeing some of that with, you know, uh, with Mike Jinks uh, coming from that same background. So I think they're, you know, and and the high school coaches, I think do have some more, you know, thoughts about accountability. And uh, I think, you know, I think we, in covering practice last year, we, we know that there probably wasn't enough accountability. Um, and wasn't enough clarity as to what are we doing here? How do we get better? How do we know, you know, if we've gotten, you know, gotten better and all of that. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, that's clearly a move in the right direction. Uh, I thought, you know, uh, Christian Rector, not at actually a Pac-12 media day, but the week before talking to him about the defense and the simplicity and, the you know, the things that, you know, Clancy has said. And, and I thought he gave a real kind of veteran's answer. He said, I said, How you know, about the changes and how do you see those coming along? And he said, Clancy's been coaching a long time. I don't know if he's going to change a lot. <laughs> and I thought that was, you know, that was a realistic answer. And I think, you know, if Clay is going to do his job, which is kind of being the over- you know, the guy who oversees things, I think not only does he have to ride hard on the players uh, and, you know, penalties and doing dumb things and all of that in practice, I think he's got to ride hard over the, uh, you know, the coordinators. And I think he's got to be, you know, come down on those guys. And he's got to be, you know, I think there have been times where uh, Clay almost seems a little bit, you know, in awe of, uh, you know, Clancy and, and, and John Baxter and I think Clay has to be, you know, kind of the enforcer there and make sure that what he, you know, he said is going to happen, what they've said is going to happen, happens. And so I think that's a, a big part of, of Clay's role this year is uh, is pushing on, you know, the people who you know, obviously uh, didn't get it together last year, uh, you know, with his team. think I think he's going to leave Graham Harrell alone. I think I don't think there's any reason – um, you know, to do to do much with, with Graham. But I think uh, the more time spent with, uh, you know, defense and special teams, I think uh, for Clay, is it could be very productive. And, and I think he's got to be, you know, this is what we want. This is what we expect. This is what I need you to do. Now do it. And uh, we won't know how that goes until we see him play. But, uh, but I think it has to go in that direction for Clay. I think he's got to be – very clear with his coordinators as to how uh, how he wants things and how things have to go.
0: Speaking of, that, that's a great segue. We actually have two voicemail questions about that very topic. So I'm going to play. I think I'll just play them both for you back-to-back, and then we'll kind of get your thoughts overall on this uh, defense if it really is going to change. Here's the first one.
3: So last year, our best – defensive game was probably against Notre Dame and we had multiple defensive players who would not have touched the field without injuries to other players. So basically this tells me that we must have had a much simpler defensive scheme in order to get it in that quickly for players who wouldn't normally play and then still turn out the best defensive performance without the best defensive players. So then we get into spring camp and start hearing all this talk about simplifying the defense and that sounds all great. So every, it all seems like it's heading in the right direction until John Houston's comments about how the defense is essentially exactly the same. Maybe I'm just being negative, but call me skeptical that anything will actually change for the better this year regarding the defense. I think we see more of the same this year: big plays, coverage busts, third, third and long conversions, galore, etc. So. Anyways, maybe, maybe you guys have a different perspective. And hopefully, you know, I'm proven wrong by the team this year. But we'll see. Fight on, Jason, along one country.
0: And then we have another one. to along the same lines.
3: Hey, it's Andrew in San Diego. And I'm just curious. Every single year, they seem like they're simplifying the defense, simplifying the offense. What are they specifically doing to simplify the defense? I mean, last year they said, oh, Clancy Fendergast has really simplified it so we can play faster. Now they're saying the exact same thing with all these player interviews. And I mean, are they just not even doing defensive schemes anymore, just go out and run around? Is there any type of definition from simplifying it? Thank you.
1: Well, I think the key word in, in terms of the simplifying is the more you push them, the more it's in the verbiage. So I think the way they communicate what they're going to do is simplified. Uh, I think they're still going to try to do the same things. Uh, Having another year in doing it and having a year uh, of last year where they didn't do it, you know, where, you know, you look at the way they defended the run against UCLA and it was ridiculous. I mean, it was just awful. Uh, in terms of you know the run fits and, and the gap control and, and all of that, I just think uh, you got a couple of things going. I think they're better. I mean they're physically better. They're more mature. They do have a year of, of looking back and saying this was totally unacceptable. You know we didn't have people in the right place. They didn't. You know we had guys you know freelancing or guys doing whatever they wanted to do, and that can't happen. And you got to have everybody together. You know, I do think it's been difficult, you know, with Clancy's NFL background to adjust to what do 18 to 20 year old kids, what are they able to do and perform, you know, at this level, uh, you know, under pressure at, you know, at top speed without having to, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about it. I think they're moving in the right direction there. And I think it's, uh, you know, that's the... uh, you know the real whatever inflection point or whatever about where this team goes is um, I think they've got enough guys, I think they've got enough talent. they've got enough bodies. Uh, I know people talk about how thin the secondary is. You know it's thin in terms of proven players with a lot of experience, but it's not thin in terms of of numbers of guys who um, who could be good, numbers of guys who have really uh, you know superior, uh, athletic skills. Uh, I don't think they were coached up, uh, in a lot of ways last year. And, uh, that's, that's going to be the key and how they practice. And, and, you know, do they, you know, is it mostly, um, cerebral, you know, is it mostly, uh, lining up and walking through and talking about it or is it actually doing it and doing it at, you know, at speed and, uh, uh, but it, I don't think it's they haven't changed the principles a lot. Just have to do them, you know, better. And there, have, you know, been times where what Clancy wants to do works really well. And there have been times that you know, Clancy's teams have given up the most points ever in the history of USC. So um, you know, I don't know that history uh, tells us a lot there. And we didn't see a lot in spring because of the uh, the number of injuries in the secondary. And you know, so. Um, I think the defense is the real is the thing to watch. And uh, you know, when you say simple, uh, you know, simply get it right. Simply, you know, get everybody on the same page. Simply get all the athletes who uh, have the potential to play to be uh, able to do what Clancy wants them to do, so that he will put them on the field. If Clancy doesn't trust you, uh, which means he doesn't trust his own coaches, maybe his own coaching. You're not going to be on the field. And then that negates some of USC's, uh, you know, advantage in terms of numbers and athletes. Uh, I think the athletes are there. I think the numbers are there. I mean, just look at the linebacker. I mean, there's just so many, you know, linebackers. Um, you've got to figure out a way to, you know, to make that work. And um, I, I don't think we know. I, I, those are good questions. Uh, I think they're, you're making the right point. I, I don't think we know if USC gets there. Or not.
0: All right. Before we uh, jump into some questions, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, Keely, what would you call it? Your round? What was the round? It was,
2: it was Keeley's Corner. Keely's Corner. Which people didn't like. So we're really? going back to... a uh, People were a little salty. Uh, we're going back to Ryan's recommendations, are we?
0: Oh, I guess we'll do that. Um, yeah. So we got back and we needed to eat dinner. I was like, I'm going to pop over to Trader Joe's. Uh, I got my wife um, that... They have this frozen raviolis. I think it was a mushroom ravioli that we got for her. But I went out and got in the fri- the refrigerated section because I wanted some sauce and stuff with mine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the lobster raviolis. And that Eww. was good. Yeah, they had, I didn't know they had lobster ravioli So I'm like, I'm going to try this. Really good. I was going to put the frozen meatballs with it. But I'm like, maybe that's a little overkill. So I just did the, <laughs> yeah. uh, the raviolis. But those are really good. I This morning I had my... Uh, my granola and my Trader Joe's yogurt and bananas and stuff I mix in there. I had like horrible, horribly tough workout this morning. The end of the workout, they did a Thunderstruck challenge, which is like a five-minute song if by ACDC. Whenever yeah. they say the word thunder, you have to do a burpee. And other times you're you're jogging, like you're like doing fast feet. There's 33 times they say, so you have to do a crap load of burpees. Uh, but I got home and I like chow down on some of that uh, granola and, and yogurt and stuff. So, uh, you know, maybe it's not – you know, Keeley's corner, but that's uh those are my recommendations.
2: Ryan's recommendations. Yeah. Very nice.
0: We do that. Um, all right. There were, was a couple, of, I think he addressed a little bit of Daniel, Matt baby stuff. And like Chris steel, brew McCoy stuff. Do you guys want to give a quick update on that before we jump into the rest of the questions or.
2: I mean, like we covered it in an instant analysis. He confirmed that Trey Davis, uh, is in the transfer portal. That's because of, a uh, family matter. Uh, Talini, Levi, and Jalen Watson fell short of being academically uh, eligible. Uh, they have put in the NCAA waivers for uh, Bru McCoy and Chris Steele, but uh, like we said, Clay Helton uh, pretty much described that they're at the behest of the NCAA. Uh, he hopes to get a decision on that before game one, but we know that the NCAA likes to take their own time and march to their own beat. So that's something that USC is going to have to wait for. Um, and the thing with Daniel Monterbebe, it, it doesn't show up in the transcript, but I was standing behind Dan and saw the interaction between Dan and, and Clay. But Dan, if you want to describe what the interaction between you two, how that went down, you can.
1: Well, I was trying to say or ask, uh, are we going to see Daniel Materbebe, uh playing college football again? And Clay said, I plan, you know, to be rooting for Daniel is going to take care of his master's work this year. And I plan to you know, be rooting for Daniel in 2020. Uh, and I said, playing for USC. <laughs> and essentially that was the answer was Clay's going to be rooting for Daniel in college football in 2020, but no response at all to whether he's going to be playing at USC, which in effect is, He's not going to be playing at USC.
2: I saw a little bit of a head shake no to you Dan. It seemed like he didn't want to verbalize it but it was essentially like no. Like no. it's not right. Yeah, happen. that's
1: exactly. That's what he, he he just said I'm not going there but you can read what I, you can read between the lines here. Yeah. He's not coming back to play at USC. Yeah. So whatever we ever you know we keep hearing that you know that that was a, a, a Lynn Swan decision and and you know that it involved you know either saying you're not hurt or now you're hurt so bad that you need to give back your scholarship, which I think would have kept um, and and go on the, you know, physical, uh, uh, unable to, you know, compete, which would I think would have prevented Daniel from ever coming back and playing again. Uh, But he could say on scholarship, it's just USC wouldn't have to count him against the 85. So I'm guessing at this point, USC still counting him, He's not on the roster, but he's still counted against the 85, I believe.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And for the record, some people were a little uh, upset that we weren't telling the full story about Daniel. But part, like who I've talked to, Daniel doesn't really want to tell his side of the story until he's kind of crossed that bridge. He doesn't want to burn any bridges, especially while he's still getting his master's at USC and is around the program. So... The story will eventually come out. It's just whether or not we want to respect Daniel's privacy and and, and what he wants to do with his own life and story. So it's TBD. Yeah.
0: Makes sense. And and, You know,
1: I mean, we can tell you what, you know, you hear here or there, however, you know, well-sourced it is. But, you know, we weren't there. We weren't in on those meetings. And um, I think it's to some extent, speculation to try to pin that down to absolutely this is what happened this is how it went down i don't i don't think we can
2: yeah
0: all right you want to jump in the questions keely let's do we're the- already like almost to an hour i know so-
2: whoops uh, it's a good pre-fall camp podcast yeah yeah uh we have an email from troy trojan who says do you think graham harrell knows what he's getting himself into i get the sense that all he wants to do is coach which is a good thing but the surrounding environment is overwhelming I'm just thinking that he has to deal with a coach on the hot seat athletic department and chaos and a mini QB controversy just to start. Not to mention a tough schedule where they have to play two potential top 10 teams, Washington and Notre Dame and uh, or on national TV and against a top 10 defense at home, Utah. I know he is going to try to put his head down and grind, but he's human. And for us to think that he will not be affected by the circus is being disingenuous.
1: See, I don't know. I think he came here for that. I mean, I think the one thing you might not understand, because if you're on the outside looking in and you grew up in football the way Graham Harrell did, USC's like a big deal. I mean, we run into, you know, kids who still talk about Reggie Bush and the Reggie Bush, I mean, the, the linebacker from Cal who grew up in Spokane, Washington, and said, I was a big USC fan. Oh, man, there's Reggie Bush teams. So what was he, like 10 years old? Uh, probably not that old. Six years old uh, when that was going on. So if you're a Graham Harrell and you're in Texas and you're looking, and USC was there was hot stuff when he's just getting into football. So you you have a uh, you know a, a picture of what USC football is like. I mean you know the, when you look at the national championships and the Heisman trophies and playing at the Coliseum, all of that kind of stuff, and you might not be able to understand that you know the infrastructure might not be. What you think it is? The people, you know, the athletic department might not, you know, have as much going for it, uh, have its act together as much as as you would hope. I think he would he would know for sure where what Clay's situation was. I think there I wouldn't be any question about that, and they would know where USC went. But he would also know he'd look at his situation, you know, with the starting quarterback, you know, back after eleven starts as a freshman at all those receivers. And I think he would say, Man, and he'd look at that schedule as I would and say, This is a really good opportunity. You know, this is why I'm I'm coming to USC. What an opportunity I have to be part of something that really, you know, gets things going. So so I think mostly he really Graham's this really smart guy. And so I think mostly and he didn't, you know, come right away uh Mostly, he knows what absolutely is going on, but I think there probably are some details about the athletic department right now that are not you know completely understood unless you get in the middle of the athletic department but one thing you know he got since he got here is the aaron osthmus uh factor, which I think is really a positive thing, so you might not have you know expected that so Hey,
0: so I think mostly he knows. Yeah. And Troy Trojan, I, since I've been gone a couple of weeks, I need to go on a little bit of a rant here. So my apologies to you. Okay, this this strikes me of a loser mentality when you write stuff like this. When people talked about, well, which coach would want to come to USC, there's all this, like, good coaches would want to come to USC because they look at it and go, that's a mess, and it shouldn't be. It's real, it's like you have a Ferrari that's not weight, not well-maintained, and it's racing a bunch of fiats and stuff out there and they're not winning and you're like i could race the ferrari and beat all the fiats and you don't go well they haven't been able to beat the fiats why would i want that ferrari no it's still a freaking ferrari you want to go there graham harrell knows he can go in and do that so i feel like that's what's going on here he's not going what am i getting myself into he's going where could I go to a five and seven team? And if I just do an average job, we could win nine or ten games. That's the way he's looking at it. Not, well, they were so bad before. What could go how could this go right? Well, they were incompetent before, and I, you come in as a competent person going, I can fix all of this. And to say there's a mini QB controversy, Troy Trojan, I don't get that either. Dan's the, the defender of JT Daniels. So I will let him do it, but I'm going to do this first. Here's what you have to look at. I know the people that are bitching about JT Daniels sucks or blah, blah, blah. If you ever watched the show, I got the food analogy for you. I thought of this the other day. I didn't get to use it on Mason and highlights. I'm going to use it right here. You watch chopped. Okay. JT Daniels is a chef. This is the food analogy. The offense he was running last year, he was on chopped. He had opened a basket and you had fish tails and gummy bears, and peat moss, and snow cones, and they go make us an entree. What he has now is Blue Apron, and he's handed a box that everything's portioned for him. It's all kind of, all the ingredients are there. All he has to do is, you you know, saute a few things and put it together, and you have this amazing meal. He doesn't have to come up with, you know, he's not trying to make something beautiful out of crap. Last year... He had to make it out of crap. And Dan basically brings this up all the time. Jack Sears, they cut the offense in half for him. They made it simple. They didn't do that for JT Daniels. He should have been still in high school. So there is no mini controversy. Someone sent me like odds today, like JT Daniels winning the starting quarterback job. And it was like, even with Jack Sears, I'm like, put all your money on JT Daniels. He's winning the damn job. I'm not saying he's going to be amazing, but I think he's got the potential to be amazing. But to blame him for the crap that was going on last year is absolutely insane. Rant over. Well
1: yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think that that's, I'm glad you, you know, focused on that many quarterback controversy. Graham Hill doesn't give a rat's rear end about what you guys think. I don't, <laughs> you know, and I'm not coaching them. I mean, you don't know anything about, you know, how this is going to work out. So to, to think that Graham Hill worried about what, some of you guys think i mean it's great that you think what you think and that's all you know well and good he doesn't care he knows what he's doing he's gonna do it and that isn't going to be a consideration uh for what Graham Harold's doing it really isn't believe me
2: yeah yeah i and to to say that he he has to face a tough schedule. Like that's what coaches want. They want to be on the on national TV. They want to be on that stage to prove people like Trojan Troy Troy Trojan wrong, and and win.
0: But yeah, that's, that's, don't have the loser mentality, Troy. Don't look at it that way. Look at USC is really good. He's in an amazing position. You're not st- you're not taking over a 12 and 0 team and have to maintain it. You take over a five and seven team and do something with it, which if you're good at your job it shouldn't be that hard and that's why i think it's going to when usc turns it around this year everyone's going to go like man what a horrible job they did this year because there's really not a whole lot of difference this year you just did things better you didn't have uh, a, a antiquated offensive line coach you didn't have a running backs coach who should have been the offensive line coach you didn't have a, a wide receiver coach coach and tight ends you didn't, there's all these things that you were doing incorrectly and it's like yeah you're probably going to get bad results for that
1: yeah well, and I, I know the thing that we would, we would discover over the years. And, and, you know, there were times USC flipped, and it took very little. You go to our, our, the road games, and, and I think one of the attitudes that has to change is you look at those road games as, man, this is going to be fun. This is exciting. This is, this is what we live for. And if you go into those stadiums, and the, USC, the real USC would show up, It got very quiet very quickly because they, you know, their fans would recognize that. Uh oh, they're back. This is not what we wanted. So USC is never that far away from being back and being able to say, "You guys are in trouble now." USC's here. Uh, They got to play like that. They got to be like that. They got to prepare and think like that. But you don't want, you know, the fans to develop that mentality that. Uh oh. This is a problem, that's a problem, this is a problem. No, it's an opportunity. They have a wonderful opportunity with this year's schedule, an absolute fantastic opportunity to say, you know, we're USC, we're back. I mean, the, you know, the idea that after a couple of times in South Bend recently, it's like, uh-oh, you know, I mean, I just think of all those times we would go to South Bend and it was like the greatest thing in the world and the greatest place to be cuz you knew what was going to happen and the Notre Dame fans knew what was going to happen and that's how USC has to do it to be USC and it's got to happen this year and and i think the fans to develop kind of that same attitude that you know if this is a real USC team uh and, and since we don't know You know, we don't know, we can't know for sure at this point because this is a long leap from what happened last year. But I think that's if you've got your choice, you can't know, but come down on the side of maybe this is the team that comes back. And, you know, you can't know, come down on the winner's USC side of thinking rather than the loser's side of thinking. Yeah.
2: We have an email from Jim B. He says I keep hearing that a lot of outstanding linemen won't want to go to USC now because they're a power they're not a power running team and they feel that this offense won't prepare them for the pros. What is that based on? Pro football is not really a running game in my view. Half of the teams in the NFL d- didn't gain 111 yards per game rushing in 2000 2000- 18. The leading team in the NFL only gained 160 yards a game. The NFL is a passing league, not a running league. And then he has a second question that I'll answer pretty quickly. He says, also, they keep listing Bryce Young as five feet, 11 inches. I watched those current videos of him and he looks a lot bigger than five eleven. How tall is he? So for reference, I'm five nine. And if you look at the interviews, he's kind of a little bit taller than me. Um, so he's around like six feet, but that's a pretty accurate listing Jim, yeah
0: and if you washington state's going to throw the football more than anybody in the country they had a first round offensive lineman drafted so that doesn't that that doesn't hold any weight
1: yeah i mean i think the west coast has changed uh in terms of uh you know it's talent production the seven on seven is the best in the in the country by far and and, and everything has gone in that direction uh so you don't see you know you don't see as many Anthony Munozes, and you don't see, you know, the kind of offensive lineman that USC had uh, when Pete was, was getting things going. But if USC gets its act together, it can recruit enough. I mean, and you may have to, you know, recruit one or two offensive linemen from the rest of the country. But if USC gets its act together and, you know, starts coaching them up, I mean, let's face it. The offensive line hasn't been coached up, and, and, and that was a result of a lot of things, the way they practiced, uh, the offense they were trying to run, uh, just the fact that everybody didn't seem to be on the pa- same page with the coaching staff. Uh, you know, they just they, These guys, it, I think it was unfair to the previous offensive lines. They didn't practice uh, properly, and they weren't prepared you know, to play when, when they you know, hit the field, and that, that's, that's too bad. But uh, but I think USC is never going to be in a place where they can't recruit what they need to recruit to be a really, really top program. I mean, they probably got to shut out more of the West Coast uh, than they have right now. Our kids going, you know, leaving and, and, and trying to find, a you know, a better program because of the way, you know, USC was headed. But uh, you do it right, and recruiting and, and coming up with enough players to play the positions you really need them to play – is not going to be a problem for USC. Uh, it's, it's different because the, uh, the, the Pac-12 footprint is different in terms of the, the players that they're producing. But uh, USC always has ability to get the players they need.
2: We have a question from Stephen Poway. He actually has multiple. He says, Do you know if three-star DB and Houston speedster Dorian Hewitt will make it to USC? After the transfer of cornerback Trey Davis – What happened there? He asked and possible ineligibility of Chris Steele fingers crossed that he makes it. We need all the DBs we can get. Thank you. And fight on Stephen Poway.
1: Still a lot of DBs. I mean, you know, we're talking a dozen or so. You need them all healthy. You need them coached up. Uh, but I think that, you know, the numbers are are there, especially if, if Chris Steele is available. I think that's, uh, you know that's that's the key, and and obviously you have to get Talanoa Hufanga and Isaiah Palomalo to be healthy, and uh, and CJ Pollard. Uh, but there are a lot of you know kind of if uh, you know if coming kind of you know questions. But uh, but I think I think it's been overstated a little bit about the the lack of of numbers, uh, you know, in the secondary. If USC is lucky enough that everybody's healthy, I do think they're going to be coached up. Yeah, uh, you know better than they have been. I mean, I'm real impressed with, with Greg Burns, and uh, um, so I think I I wouldn't overstate how uh, how much trouble they're in or how thin that position is uh, right now.
2: As far as Dorian, I believe we put in the war room a couple of weeks ago that uh, he will be eventually coming on campus. There's uh, he hasn't he's not there yet, but he will be. Um, and I think if he wasn't. Clay Hilton would probably mention him with Tallini and, and Jalen Watson as far as not being eligible for yeah. 2019. So I think it's still as planned right now. Yeah. And he, and he said right.
0: Trey Davis was a personal family matter, right? Yeah, He transferred.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so. I think that also indicates that somebody like that would look at the roster and say, man, I, I don't, you know, I've got this other issue, but I'm not sure where I fit in. With the numbers that I see here, and and I I think that would be a, a correct decision.
2: Yeah, uh, we have a question from Eric in Duck Country who says the contract CBS has with the SEC expires in twenty twenty three, the same year when the Pac twelve cont- contracts expire. If CBS loses the SEC to e- the SEC to ESPN or Fox, could USC go independent and develop a TV contract uh, with similar CBS? No, sorry, develop a TV contract with similar. With CBS similar to Notre Dame and NBC, at the very least, it could be an interesting bargaining chip. What are your thoughts? Thanks, as always. Uh, Pac-12 yeah, is I
0: 2024, should, though, not 2023, so it's yeah. a year after.
1: I think they should be bar, uh, figuring out every possible bargaining chip that they can you know, figure out. I mean, uh, uh, the world's changing. Uh, I mean, conferences now, uh, I don't think they're looking to expand. I mean, the more you expand, the more, came, more pieces of the pie you have to split up. Uh, I mean, it's, the astonishing thing is the 10-team, Big 12, is going to distribute more than $50 million per school this year. Plus, they keep their um, uh, local TV rights and radio rights. Uh, that's more than the SEC is going to distribute. Uh, so I think some of these conferences that have 14 teams are thinking, man, if we just had 10, how much more money would it, you know? So, uh, and there are people who are actually doing the math and trying to figure out uh, what do they do in soccer in, uh, in Great Britain? They, uh, is it relegation where yeah. the bottom team drops out and the team mm-hmm. from the low, another, a lower league replaces them and all that? And there are people who are now, you know, actually figuring out if conferences started cutting back a little bit, who would go? Um, so by, you know, 2024, the world will have changed so much in terms of, uh, uh, TV rights and TV networks and, uh, you know, do the, you know, Netflix and Googles and Amazons and of the world get involved and, you know, we haven't necessarily seen that yet, but, uh, is there a place for them and, uh, all of those, uh, yeah, and, and what happens with those SEC, you know, rights? It's hard to visualize them going anywhere else but CBS. Um, I mean, they are such a cash cow for CBS. But uh, but yeah, I think you'd like to see USC figure out: is there a way for for USC to you know take advantage of you know to get back you know on top and then take advantage of of where that you know place is. Notre Dame, as they often do, has done it perfectly. They've got a conference affiliation with the ACC and a half schedule in football. They play all the rest of the schedule. They get a half of uh, you know, a share in the ACC, which looks like they're going to start paying off a lot more because of their new network that had the good sense to go with uh, ESPN. And then uh, their name also has their NBC contract. That to me would be the ideal situation. Um, if, there was somebody you know in charge at usc that could even begin to understand you know those possibilities i'm not sure you know under the current you know situation that that's even possible but uh one can hope that you know in the intervening time usc figures out as we always like to say you can't get the right answers if you don't know what the questions are <laughs> yeah and you got to figure out what are the questions that really matter going forward you know in uh in, uh, in college sports. And I, w- I will say this going back to the Pac-12, Larry Scott is kind of a different person. <laughs> he was sitting there most of the time and very deferential to the guy who's become the big power in the Pac-12 uh, Arizona state athletic director, Ray Anderson, who was for a dozen years, the executive vice president of the NFL and in charge of things like officiating and Ray Anderson has become, I think, the the power behind the throne in the Pac-12, and I think he's a pretty demanding guy. And uh, Larry was extremely aware of the fact that that Ray Anderson was was right there, uh, and um, he was he uh, was impressive listening to Ray Anderson talk about accountability in terms of the Pac-12, in terms of things like officiating, and 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 just. Transparency and, and and responding to people's concerns and all that. Oh, it was an interesting, uh, interesting. It was different from what we've been used to seeing uh, from the Pac-12. I think they were really trying to answer people's concerns, knowing how many concerns people have. Yeah.
2: We got an email from Rich from Moncton. Uh, Maryland, he says, I realize having an open competition is very important to develop a team, but in the case of USC this fall, do they have the luxury in training camps to conduct a competitive camp for all physician groups? Based upon what is perceived as one of the most difficult opening schedule of games in the country... Ryan's trying trying to mess me up. Ryan messed me up on the last question, and then he knew he could do it again, and it worked. Sorry. Okay. He says, do they have the luxury in training camps to conduct a competitive camp for all position groups based upon what is perceived as one of the most difficult opening schedules of games in the country and the launch of a new offensive scheme and revamped defensive scheme, do they have the time to have the competitive completion for all position groups versus going with the perceived best players and provide them as much quality practice time? Everyone talks about the amount of time it will take to learn the air raid offense. Does Clay Helton and his staff have the time to potentially start off two and four or three and three if they conduct an open competition after the Notre Dame game, a disastrous start probably means that Clay is gone. What would you do if you were Clay Helton? Could they have open competition for two weeks and then make decisions so that they can allow the best players to work together earlier rather than later?
1: Well, I mean, I think they've got to have open competition clearly for the first two weeks, but I think the key is then keeping the competition alive and, and not, and I think having, you know, a simplified defense and an offense that they really understand makes that easier It's like they couldn't afford to change anybody last year because, oh, my gosh, the the new guy, he wouldn't possibly know what the heck we're doing because we don't know what we're doing. You know, it's that kind of thing. Uh, I think this year there is a good chance they're going to kind of know what they're doing uh, on offense. And I think they've got to be there on defense. So you can trust if a guy's playing better in practice, uh, from the second team, you can trust he, putting him on the field, uh, you know, with the first team. And that's been a, you know, the big, big, uh, you know, thing that's, uh, held them back from competing hard enough in practice. So with all the talk about competition, you hope they really, uh, mean that, that the system will be such that if you're better than that guy, you're going to play and you're going to be on the field and we're going to trust you. There was a lot of Uh, unwillingness to kind of trust one another and I thought that was the coaches not trusting themselves and their players and vice versa and that has to go Uh, and that was a big part of five and seven there there was no trust because nobody believed that anybody had the real answer and you know either in game plans or in uh, in practice plans and uh, they were probably right
0: yeah, and Rich, they installed the whole offense in one week in spring ball, so I don't think you have to worry about that too much. Like, yeah, this is this is going to be way different. Like, and there's no time; it doesn't matter. You put in a new system. Yeah, it probably takes some adjustments and everything, but you're coming off five and seven. If he starts off two and four, I think he's gone. Like he's, I don't, you know, Do I think really, they're firing. Like, mid, I think midseason gone two and four.
1: But it's see, a that's, that's the question though. USC already has set the big time college record for dismissing coaches in the middle of the season with Lane and Sark. Could you possibly top yourself by dismissing? I mean, it's unheard of that ever you dismiss a coach in in mid season. USC did it twice, two years apart. And now do they do it a third time in nine years? That's like I mean, that would be almost a curse that I don't know if you can live down yeah. uh, unless, unless Urban Meyer would you know, stand up on the set of the uh, Fox pregame and said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish the year. I've got to head over to USC. <laughs> uh, if they did that, maybe they could pull that yeah. off. Otherwise, I don't know how you could do it three times.
0: I think with normal situations, you wouldn't want to, but when you have the horrible hiring practices that USC's had, and then you don't make firings when you should have, like you should have fired Lane Kiffin, you should have fired Clay Helton. This is what happens. Like you, you, those mistakes compound, and that that's where you get. You didn't make a good hire. You didn't fire people when you should have. And then when things go horribly wrong. So if you're talking two and four, that's either yeah. you beat Fresno State and BYU, lost to Stanford, Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame, or you beat like a Utah or a Stanford. And you lost to a Fresno State or BYU. Like that's that's going to be all of those ser- scenarios are going to be impossible to stomach. So I don't see how you keep a coach around that starts off two and four. I know it's a tough schedule, but two and four, I think he's gone.
1: Well, I mean, I think the interesting part of that is you compound it mathematically when you talk about you know going from uh, you know Lane to Sark to Clay. Is you've got twenty six years of athletic directors none of whom had, a, you know, essentially a lick of experience as an athletic director. So now you've got, you know, the inexperienced coaches with inexperienced athletic directors at a high-profile, you know, program, and that's like, uh, you know, uh, critical. You reach critical mass when you have, you know, both the athletic director and the head coach over that much time uh, who just haven't been there haven't done that uh it's 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 not easy to overcome yeah i don't know what 2 and 4 boy i don't know where that leaves you uh, that's a uh i don't know
2: see i would agree with your assessment Ryan if what transpired at the end of last season didn't transpire like it just it didn't make common sense based on what Lynn Swan said his reasoning was you know we need to fix basically everything on the field but we're keeping him you know so I don't know what the thought process is with Lynn Swan you talked a lot about it Ryan you don't even know if Lynn Swan's going to be there at the point of this decision if it happens so I just feel like there's too many variables to really know what could happen in that sense
0: yeah I mean I think that could I think Lynn Swan you know uh supporting Clay Helton and he starts off two and four he's gone too like you know there's it's like just get get rid of everything like this is not working like you've you've made your this you've made your bed, you've had the, all these horrible hires, horrible decisions. It's all coming it's all terrible. you're five and seven now you're two and four. just start again and that's that, that'll be up to Carol Fult to do. but at that point, I think you're justified. You have you know three FBI arrests in your athletic department and you you give the vote of confidence to your the head coach who's starts off two and four. I think at that point she can go all right, this is over. You guys are all out of here, and we're going to start again. Even though it's the middle of the season, yeah. But who knows? I mean, anything can happen. But that's- yeah,
2: there's it's a little too early for that. But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, we have one final question and we've actually had this question for a little bit but Ryan you were on vacation as we've mentioned on this podcast. Uh, it's from Ralph from Folsom and he see, he says Ryan congrats on the huge milestone and thanks for giving us a place to commiserate and celebrate a couple of questions relating to your 1000th episode. So I'll go one by one Ryan. He says first, did you ever miss being a regular do you ever miss being a regular Trojan fan hanging out on Saturdays with your buddies and watching games?
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I got a little bit of that last year because it was my 25th uh, reunion, uh, you know, or, or, yeah, like following USC. So I got to go tailgate and go to the, I just went to the game with with people and stuff. Um, I actually did a little work. I went and did the pregame radio show. So I did some, but for the most part, it was just being like a fan for a day. But you know, as when you, you kind of lose it, like you lose that fan of like, I was, you were so passionate about it and stuff before, like if you're just a student or, Your alumni and everything. When it's your job, it's like, it's a whole different perspective now. And even Like I was a big Steeler fan and things like that. And like, I'm not a big fan of any sporting team anymore because you've worked in this. So yeah, that's something you you lose a little part of something that was really special in your life. So yeah, I I definitely miss
2: it. Yeah. You look behind the curtain and then you can't really look at it the same. That's why the angels are like my one little bubble, which is good. I feel like it will be burst at some point, but it's true. You kind of do lose that sense of fandom. It's yeah, it's tough. And then he has one last question. He says, as one recovered USC engineer to another whose eventual career path was not engineering related, do you ever think back, like I do sometimes, man, I could have been a B-school schlep, coasted through classes, and avoided all that grinding in school, even though the the engineer school experience makes us better at everything we do. Fight on, Ralph, from (coughs) Folsom.
0: Oh, my God, yes. Like, it was so hard. Like, my roommate was, like, a physiology major, and it's, like, Thursday night, he's like, let's go party. I'm like, yeah, I got to... A discussion in the morning. I got like, three hours of problems to solve. Like call it. I mean, I I partied, but it was really hard. Like, and you could compare pretty much anyone that wasn't an engineer. It's like you almost didn't respect because you're like you don't work anywhere near as hard as I have to. Um, so that yeah, but I don't regret. I mean, I worked as an engineer for eleven years, and I think having being an engineer, I wouldn't be where I am now. Like I couldn't have just started the site. Like I think I needed that technical kind of background and everything. And even just, I was always interested in that stuff. And I, I loved my time, you know, working as an engineer and it, you know, it, it paid really well. And my wife sometimes is like, could you go back? Cause you know, <laughs> you made more money doing that than, than this, but I love, you know, when I, when you come to Los Angeles and I remember going, uh, so I worked in El Segundo at like Hughes aircraft company. Like when I first graduated from USC, you'd come to like Manhattan beach for lunch. And, uh, I, I love playing beach volleyball and it'd be like Tuesday at noon and there's people out there playing beach volleyball. I'm like, how the hell can they do that? Like this, don't you have to go to work? Like I'm, I'm here at lunch. I gotta go back. And if you ever watched the old movie swingers, there was always the thing that you would like these guys, like, like they kind of have jobs and they can do things, but they also have free time during the day. If they wanted to go run out and go play Penmar for nine holes or something, you could do all those things. That was kind of like my goal is like, I want to have like a career, but I don't want it to be like nine to five where I could go golf on a Tuesday or something. And you know, that's kind of what we have now. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up, but it was definitely hard and getting, you know, getting my master's there while I was working, that was hard too. But undergrad was just because everyone around you was just having fun and that they were working, but nowhere near as hard and as the crap what we would have to do. I always had Friday classes. I, you know, people like, Oh, I don't have Thursday or Friday classes. I'm like, how the hell? Like I'm having Friday classes all day. Like that was just the way it was with engineers. But thanks for the questions, Ralph.
2: Nice. Very nice. Yeah.
0: Dan do you ever miss that? There's or like you've been a, you've been in the media a long time. I don't know.
1: Those of us who went to a school like Xavier who didn't have it didn't offer engineering <laughs> used to enjoy a story. Some of our classmates from high school went to Purdue and there was always this story about the Purdue guy who said, uh, When I got here I couldn't even spell engineer when I got here. Now I are one. And it was like, oh, okay. You know, we like to make fun of engineers because, like, we were the guys that could read and write. And they were the guys that were figuring out all these problems that we just didn't care about at all. So uh, it's a whole different world.
2: It is indeed.
0: All right. Well, I guess we should wrap this up. Uh, We went pretty long. Yeah. But we had to, you know. It's like a reunited thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. A reunion of sorts.
0: It's a little bit of a reunion. But thanks, uh, everyone out there for listening. Thanks to Keely and Dan for holding down the fort while I was out playing and stuff. Uh, But we're back. We're ready. Fall camp starts on Friday. So, uh, yeah, insane that it's starting uh, up there. So make sure you're checking out uscfootball.com. We'll have tons and tons of updates of uh, what's going on uh, down there. And uh, make sure you check out the site for sure. Tunnel Vision. Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. live. If you want to uh, tune in live, and you can, instead of like emailing us questions or call, you can actually call in live or chat with us live, and we'll answer your questions right uh, on the air in real time. So it's it's pretty cool stuff. So make sure you check that out all on USCFootball.com. For Keely and Dan, I'm Ryan. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices this is dan bain of trader joe's the answer is simple it's all in the way we do business we buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible this helps to keep our costs low and we pass those savings on to you no gimmicks just great values at honest prices every day at trader joe's thanks for listening